Welcome to Sundays at Grace, the preaching ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill, and I am so glad you have joined us yet again for this edition of the podcast. I'm in week two, chapter two of a sermon series in the book of Jonah, dealing with the runaway prophet himself, Jonah, um, entitled this series, Man Overboard, Jumping Ship into the Arms of a Loving Savior. And as we closed out chapter one, it is true, Jonah is tossed overboard and he's swallowed by a whale, but not just a whale, he's swallowed by the incredible love of God. And in this message today, we're going to look at Jonah's prayer from the belly of that whale, an intense prayer, and we're going to talk about what it's like when we go through the seasons of darkness, when we're walking through the incredible dark times of life, how do we navigate those times What do those times look like? How do we actually come through those times? Um, Now, again, you go to our our website, myrgc.com. You can download handout notes to go with the message, as well as there's a link you can click there and support the ministry and help us continually put out this podcast as well. Now, the big idea in this message we're going to see today is that as we validate our true feelings, we must elevate our true reality. As we validate our true feelings of despair, we need to always elevate our true reality in Christ. And we're going to learn that from Jonah. It's a message that I think um, we'll find very relatable, uh, very intense, and very encouraging. Let's get right to the message then. It's the all-consuming, overwhelming darkness. Let's start here in Psalms 139. Here's David. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. How about that? Even if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So again, you might think today, well, he's going to speak about the coronavirus and give us all some words of encouragement. Well, the reality is I'm not, but I'll be honest, we're going to go much deeper than the coronavirus today. We're going to go much much deeper in this message today and what we're going to talk about. And so I'm sure the words can maybe speak into that situation. If you have some concern about it or you know someone who does, there will be some uh, comfort in these words hopefully today. But as I said, we're going to a much deeper place of hopelessness and, and darkness today. Let's start with these opening questions. Have you ever been through a dark experience? Just, just thinking, have you been through a really, really dark experience in your life? I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I might get the coronavirus or a little adversity. I'm like, in, I'm like, you got the coronavirus and you're on your deathbed. Have you been through a really dark experience in your life? Now, I'll frame the question this way, and I don't mean this in a crass way. I don't mean this as slang. I mean this directly, as we'll see today, from the pages of Scripture. Have you ever been through hell? Have you ever been through hell? You know, you think about that idea of hell in Scripture, and and hell is presented in Scripture to us in two ways. We'll see that today. There is the literal place that if you die and don't know Christ, the Bible says you go to hell, and for eternity you're separated from your Creator, from Christ. But then there's the other way that hell is kind of used, we'll see it in the text today, where hell is kind of our experience. We're not literally in hell, we're on this earth, but we're 
in a sense, at least we feel like we're going through hell. This, this issue of the darkness of hell, we all experience it in different ways at different times. For some, it's an illness. For some, you get an illness or a disease and it's totally out of your hands, totally out of your control. You can't do anything about it and you feel like, you know, it's hopeless. My life is probably over. For others, it's a, fin a financial problem. Maybe it was a bad financial move on your part, some, some poor financial decisions, or maybe no fault of your own. You just lost everything, kind of like Job. You lose it all. You go bankrupt, you lose your job, you're in a really tough financial place. Others experience this reality just through a wrong they've experienced or an injustice that they've endured. Someone has harmed them in a wrong way. A personal violation, you get robbed, you get attacked, you get abused. Others, it could be simply a serious case of bad troubles, you know, just bad luck. Your house burns down, you know, you lose your job. Your company, you know, just lets you go. An accident puts you in the hospital. And yet others, they experience this kind of darkness, this level of the darkness of hell, maybe through a broken relationship or maybe through an estranged relationship. Maybe it's through a divorce or maybe it's through the reality of two siblings that just don't talk for years and the darkness eats away at them. All of these are different examples of people who have maybe experienced hell. The reality is all of us in this room, some of you have maybe been through hell. Some of you maybe are going through hell. Some of you might go through hell and maybe... All of us in, the, in this room know somebody who has been through the darkness of hell. What we're going to do today in a very powerful way is we're going to look at two questions. We're going to look at what hell looks like, what it feels like to go through hell, and then how exactly we can walk through hell and come out the other side. Let me start with this example from Abraham Lincoln. Mike Napa in his book, God in Slow Motion, talks about Abraham Lincoln and his reality with the Civil War. Here's what he says. A scan through the statements of President Abraham Lincoln reveals a man who underwent some very dark days. Consider at the start of the war between the states. Lincoln was resolute and visionary. The mystic chords of memory he announced in his inaugural address on March 4, 1861, stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and heartstone, all over this broad land will yet swell with the chorus of the Union. A little over a year later into the war on June 28, 1862, his rhetoric was tempered but still firm and uncompromising. I expect to maintain this contest until, success, until successful or until I die or am conquered. And then... The true darkness began to fall. After a devastating defeat at Manassas in Virginia, Lincoln began, to first, began first to worry and then to doubt his cause. Well, we are whipped again, I am afraid, he moaned. What shall we do? The bottom is out of the tub. The bottom is out of the tub, August 1862. The next months and years for Lincoln were lived in near con constant faith-shaking darkness and despair. If there is a worse place than hell, I am in it, December 1862, after defeat at Fredericksburg. My God, my God, what will the country say? May 1863, after defeat at Chancellorville. Finally, this war is eating my life out. I have a strong impression that I shall not live to see the end, 1864. There's a man who is consumed with the darkness of hell. We're in week two of a series. We started last week, Man Overboard, Jumping Ship into the Arms of a Loving Savior. We're looking at the runaway prophet in the Old Testament, Jonah. 
We're looking at his story, and hopefully as we look at his story, we're going to see it maybe in some ways we've never saw it before or experienced it before. We saw that last week. If you missed last week's message, what 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 an encouraging message to look and to see the heart of what this story is really all about. But here's our big idea that we put up last week for the whole series. It's simply this, you can never out-sin or outrun God's love. I don't care who you are. You can't out-sin and you can't outrun God's love. If you're the Ninevites, you can't out-sin God's love. If you're Jonah, you can't outrun God's love. He will get you. Now in this story, Jonah is called by God, as you know, to go to Nineveh, the enemies of Israel, a very wicked people, and tell them basically you need to start worshiping my God or my God is going to wipe you out. That's kind of the the synopsis of it all. And so Jonah doesn't want to do that. Jonah runs away. But the main reason Jonah runs away, we'll see this in the last two chapters, is because Jonah's afraid that the Ninevites might actually repent. And if they repent, he knows his God is loving, merciful, and forgiving, and his God will actually forgive them. And Jonah does not want his enemies to be forgiven. He wants his enemies to get justice. And so that's where the story goes. And so, as you know, Jonah's on this boat, and then the storm arises, and all, you know, it's just crazy on that boat. And finally, we left off the cliffhanger as they toss Jonah overboard into the sea, and immediately the storm subsides. And we watch Jonah fall, if this was like a mini-series, you know, and this would be episode one, and it would end with this cliffhanger as Jonah's plunged into the angry sea, and immediately the storm stops, and then all of a sudden, what's going to happen to Jonah? He's flailing around and all of a sudden here comes this giant whale and snatches him whole, swallows him whole. And that's the end of episode one. Tune in next week. (laughs) That's the cliffhanger. Here's today's big idea. This is where we're going. As we validate our true feelings, we must elevate our true reality. As we validate our true feelings, and we do that all the time, this is how I feel. We let people know how you feel. We need to, we must elevate our true reality and we're going to see that as we walk through Jonah chapter 2 and what it feels like to go through hell here we are Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fast fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land and if i can just go back to that first verse again then jonah prayed to the lord his god from the belly of the fish verse 2 saying i called out to the lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of sheol i cried and heard my voice and right there is that reference that emphasis to hell sheol was the place well it was kind of like the temporary holding cell until you actually go to hell in eternity and so there's this place called sheol it was the land of the, the dead 
That's where the dead went. And here is Jonah in the belly of this whale, and he's like, yeah, I'm in hell. I'm in the darkness of hell. And I've lost all hope. And this is the reality of his prayer. Now, it does seem that this prayer comes towards the end of his three days. I think once he realizes, oh, wait a minute, I'm not going to die in this whale. I'm going to get out. He starts to pray here, and he talks about his feelings and his true feelings and his true reality and kind of juxtaposes those. Let's walk through this again and just note again our big idea. We must validate, as we validate our true feelings, we must elevate our true reality. So what does it feel like to go through hell? And as I said, some, some of us have been there, some of us are there, some of us are going there, some of us know someone who is going there. What does it feel like when you're in that place, that darkness? Well, number one, to be overwhelmed and consumed by our circumstances that we can't see beyond. When you're just overwhelmed and consumed by your circumstances and you can't see beyond your circumstances. So look at some of the imagery and some of the words he uses here. I was cast into the depths of the sea. I've shared this before, I think, but I remember when I was four or five when we lived in Puerto Rico and we were my mom and dad were missionaries and the Caribbean Sea was in our backyard and I would look at that ocean, that sea, and it just freaked me out to think if I was dropped in the middle of that sea. I know it would just be like over. It'd be like hopeless. The sea would consume me. And that's exactly what the reality is here for Jonah. He's tossed into this sea and then this whale swallows him up and he is just overwhelmed and consumed. Then he goes on here and he says, the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. And just look at that word over. To be overwhelmed. To be overwhelmed by your situation, overwhelmed by a medical or physical illness, a financial problem, a relational issue, an emotional state or a spiritual struggle. To just be overwhelmed. To feel like there, there's just no answer to what, what I'm going through. There's no solution to what I'm facing. There is no one who can help me. It seems over. So hell is kind of defined here, the darkness of hell being overwhelmed and consumed. We can't see beyond our circumstance. And then a second thing is when we feel all alone. We just feel all alone. He said, I have been banished from your sight. And he just feels like he's all alone. These are his true feelings. That's not true. God hasn't been banished from his sight or he hasn't been banished from God's sight. But this is truly how he feels. And for near three days, he felt all alone, and it was all his own doing. He was responsible. He's the one who put himself in the belly of this whale. I think he's not so sure. You know, this whole thing about jumping ship into the arms of a loving Savior, I don't think he would say that's his reality. That's the true reality. That whale is the loving hands of God. He doesn't see it at that point. As I said, the Bible describes hell as this literal place of darkness and despair and isolation. And it really gives us a picture of a, of a very lonely experience. You're, you're in darkness. I don't think hell is a very relational place. I don't think you can see and talk and, and want to talk and relate to I think you're just kind of all isolated in your loneliness. Of course, the greatest sense of isolation in hell is being isolated from Christ. And what is Christ? But he is man's glory, hope, and joy. For all eternity to be isolated from your hope and your glory and your joy found in Christ. So hell is a despairingly lonely place. It's that feeling that no one can relate to us. No one can 
understand us. No one gets us. No one's ever been where I'm at. I'm in this place and no one's ever been here but me. We know that's not true. We know 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about sometimes we go through experiences and we, we, we go through experiences and God comforts us so that we can later on go over and comfort somebody else in that same dark situation. But at the time, we feel like no one's ever been here before. No one gets it and that's so untrue. The reality is we need to be there for other people. If we know someone going through a really dark time, we need to be there for them. We need to know how to go and to sit with them. Now, don't be like Job. You remember Job had, he lost it all. God, you know, Satan wanted to tempt Job, and so Job lost everything, everything. He went through a really dark time in his life. And he had these three friends, and they came and they sat with him. The only problem was his three friends just wouldn't shut up. And everything they said was either untrue or unhelpful. Don't be like one of Job's friends. Know how to be there for someone and just to, to sit next to them and lend their shoulder and sometimes know that saying nothing is saying everything. We all know through people that are going through the really dark times of life and we need to know how to be there for them. So hell is described as being overwhelmed or consumed by circumstances until we can't see beyond them. It's when we feel all alone and when everything feels hopeless. Everything just feels hopeless. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And so here he is. He's like, you know what? I'm going to be in this whale forever. I'm never getting out of this whale. When it feels like this circumstance is forever, there's no answer, there's no solution, there's no hope. And no one relates to what I'm going through. Those are the true feelings of hopeless despair. I remember uh, this came to mind this week and I watched a couple of, a little bit of video on YouTube about this back in 2008. Maybe you remember the story. A very popular Christian singer named Stephen Curtis Chapman. Back in 2008, he had his five-year-old daughter Maria Sue and they lost her. She died in an accident. Um, <clears throat> horrific, a five-year-old adopted Chinese daughter and they lost her, what grief. But what made the grief times two is that it was Will Franklin, their 17-year-old son, who backed over her with a truck. Oh, can you imagine? How do you, how do you survive that? How do you live through that? And yet you know who was in Muskegon last Christmas doing a concert? Stephen Curtis Chapman. And Will Franklin's in a band called Colony House. They have some kind of cool music on YouTube, kind of a mainstream band with some Christian themes. And, and they've gotten, they've moved on. There's, there's, there, it's not forever. It may feel like it's forever, but it's not forever. And that's the reality. The question is how do we, like Stephen Curtis, how do we, like others, how do we make it through the darkness? That's the second question. How to make it through the darkness of hell and back again? Here's four truths. Here's four things you need to know today. Right out of Jonah. Number one, you need to know your Bible. You need to know your Bible. Whether you use a Bible like this, whether you have the Bible on your phone or on your computer, you need to know your Bible. And can I just say, how about this? What if we looked at God's Word and we saw God's Word as our friend and our comfort. I thought of that this week. What a cool way to think about God's word. To see God's word as, as God's word is my friend. It's my comfort. It's always there for me. God's word is always there. Sometimes you know, God, you know God's always there, right? You can't ever escape God's presence. And like Jonah, you can't run away from God's presence. But sometimes, 
Sometimes it's hard. It's like you feel like God's not there. So we can look at creation. We said that last week, right? You look at creation and God says, this is how I primarily define myself and prove I'm the one true God. I made it all. But the other thing you can do if you ever feel like, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? Pick up your Bible. He's right here. He's right here. And just open it and just read until you hear him say your name. So know your Bible. Here's the thing, what we see in the text here that is so fascinating. We need to know our Bible. We need to know where to turn in Scripture. The reality is, is that Jonah uses a lot of phrases and imagery from the Psalms. His prayer is chock full of stuff that you find in the book of the Psalms. So meaning, he knew the Jewish worship book. He knew the writings of David and Solomon and the sons of Korah. There aren't a lot of authors to the Psalms, but he knew their writings. He had internalized them, and to some degree he had memorized them, and he can recall those words. Look at a few examples here from the book of Psalms that we find in Jonah's prayer. First Psalm 18.6, I highlighted the phrases that kind of come out of his prayer. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me think about the, that seaweed that's wrapped around his head we go on in my distress i called upon the lord to my god i called for help i cried for help from his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears psalms 42 7 deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and jonah called the waters of the deep all your breakers and your waves have gone over me Psalm 31, 16, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord, directly from his psalm. Psalm 31, 22, I have said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my, voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. And finally, a great psalm that really kind of parallels a little bit his prayer, Psalms 116. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Down in verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And Jonah here just has this great understanding of the Psalms. And as he prays, the Psalms just kind of pour out of his prayer. The, the, the Psalms flavor his prayer. I thought about that. Do, does God's word flavor my prayer? When I pray, does God's word just kind of flavor the words that come out of my mouth? How about that? The thing about Jonah's use of scripture is he's not quoting scripture verbatim. He's, he's personalizing it. He's voicing it. He, he's taking themes and phrases and images and incorporating those into his prayer and his life. And again, I ask, do I do that when I pray? One of the things the Psalms are known for is they're just their gut-wrenching honesty. The Psalms are just so... These are my true feelings. This is how I feel. The Psalms are so good at describing the true feelings of the psalmist. The truth is, this sort of honest prayer simply reflects someone who has a very close and personal relationship with God. The thing is, God knows our emotions and he knows our feelings. He knows our anger and hurt, so it's not like we have to hide it from him. In fact, we can't hide it from him, so why not share it with him? God can handle it when we are honest with him. In fact, and hear this, but sometimes we have to express our true feelings before we can see our true reality. 
Let's, we're overwhelmed by a situation and consumed by a situation and until we deal with our true feelings and say this is how I really feel and we own our true feelings, we really can't see our true reality. That's the, we just have to know that. Bottom line is you need to know your Bible. Here's the verse we've used a couple of weeks in the past recently. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul writing, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I often talk about the problem in the church today, this moralism. We moralize the Bible. The Bible's all about me and my problems. And the Bible's all about me doing what's right and not doing what's wrong. And we moralize the scriptures and we totally miss the point of the scriptures, which is Jesus. It's Christ. This is his story. This is his book. As we said last week, Jonah. Jonah is to point us to Christ. Jonah, the story of Jonah is the story of Christ. Ultimately, the Bible is not about you and me and our behavior. It is about Christ and his behavior. It's not about my good works. It's about his work in me and through me. So here's the reality. What happens when you moralize the Bible like this? And I'm serious. This is such a, such a problem in the church today. So many messages become self-help messages. You Think about this. Self-help won't carry us through the darkness of hell. Only God's word can carry us through the darkness of hell. We need to know the true focus of Scripture. So instead of seeing the Bible as a book with, with a lot of practical self-help insights, we need to see the Bible as a book that points us to Christ and our desperate need for Him. It's His Word and His life that can carry us through the darkness of hell. It is His Word and is His life that will carry us and deliver us from the literal hell. It's His Word and His life that can deliver us from the experience that is hell. We need to know that. So the first thing we need to know is we need to know God's word and we need to see God's word as our friend and our comfort. And as I honestly express my true feelings, I need to be grounded by my true reality. As we validate our true feelings, we must elevate our true reality. Here's the second thing you need to know then. Second thing you need to know. Know that you are never alone. Know that you are never alone. Then I said, verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. And David just feels like he is all alone. But you're never alone. I may feel alone, but I am not alone. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And pray, my prayer came to you and into your holy temple. Now here's what we're going to see, and I think this is really cool to understand, is what Jonah does is that Jonah, throughout this passage, juxtaposes his true feelings with his true reality. Verse 8, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. True feel, this is how I feel. I'm, I'm validating my true feelings. Yet, I shall look upon your holy temple. That's my true reality. And I have to elevate my true reality over my true feelings. Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. That one's almost comical, right? It's like, I'll be in this whale forever. Yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really won't be. <laughs> but that's the truth. Sometimes we feel, we feel something over here. My true feelings are, this is hopeless. This is forever. This is, there's no solution. Yet, you brought me up from my life from the pit, oh Lord my God. See, 
See, here's the thing. Jonah thought he was in this, well, I'm never getting out. And towards the end of the three days, he realizes, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to die in this thing. I think I'm going to get out of here. I think I'm going to get out and come through this. And so he's like, you brought my life from the pit. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So he juxtaposes his true feelings with his true reality and that is something that you and I need to do every single day. How do we handle our true feelings of despair? By remembering our true reality in Christ. Let me say it again. How do we handle our true feelings of despair? By remembering our true reality in Christ. When Satan defines us by our sin, we say, not so fast, devil, not today. I am defined by Christ. When Satan overwhelms me with shame, I I say, not so fast, devil, not today. I am the glory of Christ. When Satan brings up our past, we say, not so fast, devil, not today. I am a citizen of heaven. When Satan tells us we're all alone and we've been abandoned, I say, not so fast, devil, not today. God has promised to never leave me or forsake me. That's my true reality. That's the scriptures. Despite my feelings, there is a true reality. So when we, we need to remind ourselves as we walk through this, the darkness, the loneliness of this season, we need to know that we're not alone. That actually Jesus is with us. Here's the thing, Jonah is in the well for three days. That's symbolic of Jesus being in the grave, in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus preaches that, uses that illustration as much himself. So there's this, this, this parallel. Jonah's in the belly of the whale for three days. Jesus is in the earth for three days, three nights. Three full days and three full nights. That's another discussion for another time. But here's the thing. One thing you have to understand, though, is that when Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights, he was actually in paradise. He wasn't in hell like Jonah was. He was actually in paradise. He told the, the one criminal today, you'll be with me in paradise. He spent three days down in paradise. It does say he stopped by and visited hell for a time and preached to the fallen angels. But he was primarily in paradise. He did not go into hell and battle Satan for three days, three nights. He didn't. So if he didn't go into hell and battle him for three days and three nights, when did he battle Satan? When did he take on hell? When did he defeat sin? He did that on the cross. The truth is, the cross was hell for Jesus. He went through hell. He took on hell. He entered hell. He wasn't in the literal hell maybe physically, but yeah, he took on the sin Satan, death, all of that. He took it all on himself on the cross. The cross was hell for Jesus. Before he ever died, he had defeated sin. He had defeated hell. That's that's the most powerful understanding that we have to have. When Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced everything you and I have ever experienced. He took on our hell. He took on our hell on the cross. We know this is true. It's sometimes hard to grasp, but we know this is true because 
Jesus experienced everything we have ever experienced, every negative emotion we have ever faced, every temptation we have ever battled, every sin we have ever committed, every ounce of shame we have ever felt Christ on the cross. He experienced it. He took it on himself. The question then is how did Jesus make it through hell? Well, he prayed his way through hell. He started praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, he was overwhelmed, he was consumed, he was sweating drops of blood. He starts praying in the garden. And then he makes his way to the cross and on the cross, he prays. We hear him praying. We get glimpses of his prayer on the cross. We get bits and pieces of his prayer on the cross. He prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's a prayer. He prays, and I think this is really fascinating. He prays, I thirst. Think about this. Here's the living water who said he could give you eternal water and you'd never be thirsty again. And here he says, I thirst. I don't believe he's just saying I'm physically thirsty. I think he's saying I'm spiritually thirsty. On the cross, he took on our loneliness and our emptiness and our brokenness and our hopelessness. He did. He took it all on him on the cross. He keeps praying. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, it is finished into your hands. I commit my spirit. Now the question is, if Jesus went through hell on the cross, exactly when did this all happen? How, how do we know he went to hell on the cross? And then at what point did hell become less of a physical torturing and more of a spiritual torturing? Anybody know when that happened? It's interesting, right? He's on the cross for six hours from 12 o'clock to six o'clock. Something significant happens at 3 o'clock, midway point. What happens at 3 o'clock? Darkness. 3 o'clock, darkness sets in. And I think that's when all of hell descended on him, all of sin was taken on him. Everything was just dumped on him, and for three hours on the cross, he hangs there, taking on the darkness of hell. This is when he most feels alone. This is when the darkness consumes and overwhelms him that he can't see beyond. He can't see beyond the cross at this moment. This is when it all feels hopeless. Did You mean Jesus felt hopeless on the cross? Yeah, I think he did. You know why I think he felt hopeless on the cross? Because he took on everything we have ever felt. Have you ever felt hopeless? When you went through hell and you're like, you feel, yeah. And we know that Jesus took on everything, our emptiness, our brokenness, our loneliness, our hopelessness. He took it all on himself. It's hard for us to imagine that, that here's Jesus, he's saving us, and he's lost all hope. But you've lost all hope, and he experienced everything that you have ever experienced. In fact, here it is in Scripture. Let's just look. The cross was hell for Jesus, and he prayed his way through. He prayed his way through. And so we get glimpses. I think he prayed more than the words that are there, but I think he prayed. I think he prayed. Look here at Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Helps you and me. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And when you're tempted with your loneliness and your emptiness and your brokenness and your hopelessness, he's been there. He knows exactly what that's like. So watch this, consider this. Go back to the prayer of Jonah. I want you to catch this. So Jonah's praying in the whale for three days and three nights. Who else prayed that same prayer that Jonah prayed? Jesus. That's that's what he was praying on the cross. And we don't have it all verbalized, but I'm sure that's what he was praying on the cross. That as he hung on the cross for us and went through hell with us, that he prayed like us. I have to believe that. We get a glimpse of his prayer. In fact, he does something that Jonah does. In his prayer and what we see on the cross, he does something that Jonah does. I'll show you in a minute, but just think about this. He experienced everything we have ever experienced. Have you been abused, been abandoned, been wronged, been hurt, been mistreated, been betrayed, been taken for granted, taken advantage of, been forgotten, been lonely, been maligned, been shamed, been stupid, been selfish, been bad, been wrong, been angry, been bitter, been weak, been an idol worshiper, been rebellious, been a prodigal, been lost, been embarrassed, been ashamed, been buried, been to hell. So has Jesus Know your Bible and know that you're never alone. That whatever you go through, he has gone through that as well. In fact, the very hell that you're walking through, he has defeated it. He has claimed victory over hell. Just know that. Now that doesn't mean we ignore our our true feelings. No, Jesus didn't ignore his true feelings. Jonah didn't ignore his true feelings. But here's what what Jesus does that is so fascinating because he does what Jonah does is that Jesus juxtaposes his true feelings and his true reality on the cross. Think about it. Here's what he says. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he felt like God had just abandoned him. That he was just all alone. That God had just left him there to die but then he goes on a short while later right before he dies and he says it is finished into your hands I commit my spirit and in that in in that phrase right before he dies it is finished he's saying the work's done the the, the power of sin has, has been has been destroyed It is finished. The work is over. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The one he just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then a little while later, God, here's my spirit. And I know that you will take care of my spirit. I know that it's not all over. How amazing to see the juxtaposition of Jesus' true feelings and his true Reality Greater than his true feelings is his true reality, which is exactly what Jonah does. Know your Bible and know you're never alone. And number three, just briefly here, just know who you can trust. Just think of what Jonah says here. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And there's a shift here from his true feelings to a wholehearted proclamation of his true reality 
of his trust in God. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Think about that statement. Think about what he's saying there. Idols represent where we put our trust. And Jonah's just making an acknowledgement there that you put your trust in the wrong thing. Well, what a fool that is. Jonah's looking back to chapter 1, looking back to the God of creation who created everything saying, that's the God you can trust. That's the God you can put your life and your hands in. In fact, the God who created everything is the God who created you and me, who designed us, who knows you better than your creator, who better to trust than the one who made you and designed you and put you on this planet. Idols represent where we put our trust. When you think about the God who can control earthquakes and hurricanes, who can flood the entire earth if he wants, or orchestrate a whale to swallow a person alive, there's a God you can trust. The God who made you, that's the God that you can trust. And so when, when he says those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, what he's saying is running from God is not trusting in God. I realize now that my running from God and running from His presence and running from His call, that's not trusting in God. Running from God is not trusting in God. We sang it today. We need to run into the arms of a loving Savior. We need to run into His arms. So idols represent where we put our trust. Who do you trust? You want to make it? Through the darkness of hell, know who you can trust. You can trust your creator. And then idols also represent what gets us into trouble. Idols are those things that end up getting us into trouble. You worship the wrong things, look out. You worship your finances, they can fail you. Worship someone else, they can fail you. Worship your accomplishments and you will fail your accomplishments. Worship the wrong thing and it can easily lead you into the darkness of hell. In fact, if there is something that you worship more than God, don't be surprised if God maybe takes that thing from you for a time to get your attention and say, hey, I want you to love me. I want you to worship me more than anything else. You can trust me more than anything or anyone else. Again, when you think of walking through the darkness, remember the words of Hebrew 2, that there is only one who took on hell and defeated it. There's only one we can trust to walk us through the darkness of hell and come safely out the other side. And even in our present circumstances, for those that are concerned about the coronavirus, we just know that we can trust God to walk us through the next two, three, four weeks, however bad it gets. Who knows how bad it'll get? Who knows how quarantined we'll be or disrupted our life will be? But God is still in control and we can trust Him. Know that you can trust Him. Know your Bible. Know you're never alone. Know who you can trust. And that brings us to the last one. Absolutely have to know this. You have, have to know this. Remember the resurrection. Just remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection. Look at verses 9 and 10 here. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out or vomited Jonah onto dry land. The whale didn't keep him. It spit him out. And Christ went into the grave for three days but the grave couldn't keep him and the grave spit him out. 
Jonah's true feelings gave way to his true reality in the darkness in the belly of the whale. Well, it really wasn't forever. Thought it was forever, but it wasn't because there is resurrection. And Jonah's whale experience points us to Jesus again in his empty tomb. You see, Jesus took on hell and overcame it. He took on Satan and defeated him. He took on death and he won. His death, in fact, was just a stepping stone to his resurrection. I mean, think about it. Jesus was alive. Jesus chose to die. Why did he choose to die? He chose to to live and then die so he could bring resurrection to all of us so that we could know resurrection in our life. The truth is, we think about going through the darkness of hell. Everyone is born in the darkness of hell. Everyone is born spiritually separated from Christ. Everybody is born, and, you know, we talk often about how You know, if you know Christ, if you're in Christ, you're a citizen of heaven, right? That's a great word, citizens of heaven, if we know Christ as our Savior. Let me tell you the flip side of that we don't often talk about, that when you are born, if you are in Adam, if you don't know Christ, you are a citizen of where? You're a citizen of hell. That's your eternal destiny. Our eternal destiny is heaven, and it's glory, and it's Christ, and it's wonderful. If you've never made a decision for Christ, never put your faith and trust in Him, you're a citizen of hell. That's your eternal destiny. You're not just walking through the darkness of hell in this life. You're walking to the darkness of hell for all of eternity. But here's the beauty of it all. Because we're born into this reality. We're born in the reality of the darkness of hell. Jesus interrupts that with resurrection. So let me leave you with these final phrases, these final sentences. We're not going to read all these scriptures. Just some summaries from scripture. We were sinners Romans 5, 8, we were sinners, but God showed his love for us. Amen. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, loved us. But God loved us. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, but Christ has been raised. Amen. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. But, just note that. Just note that Christ comes along and Christ interrupts, interrupts death and interrupts hell. As we validate our true feelings, we, we must elevate our true reality. Thank God that the gospel has a big but. Thank God that Jesus entered our world and interrupted the cycle of death. Thank God that Jesus came and brought resurrection That Christ comes and offers us his life. His life. And thank God that our true reality is greater than our true feelings. As we validate our true feelings, we must elevate our true reality. Let me close you with the final words from President Lincoln. Who, as we said, he had come to the point of of in utter despair. If there was a place worse than hell, he said he was in it. But then... In the darkness, a flicker of hope burst into flame. Union victories began turning the tide of the Civil War. And we can see Lincoln's spirits lift. Once again, his rhetoric begins to soar, to reach resolutely toward his vision of, the, of one United States of America. In March 1865, about a month before Lee's surrender, Lincoln is able to regather his faith and speak. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds his second inaugural address in march 4 1865 and finally 
Less than two weeks before his death, President Lincoln proclaimed the end of his trials. Thank God I have lived to see this. It seems to me that I have been dreaming a horrid dream for four years, and now the nightmare is gone. April 3rd, 1865. It sounds a lot like something that Jonah may have said, and Jesus too. Praise God for resurrection, for the hope of resurrection. Father God, thank you that you are greater than anything we'll go through in this world. If, if you can defeat our eternity, if you, can, if, you can, if you can handle our eternity, if you can defeat hell and sin and death and Satan, we have nothing to fear in this world. And there's times we're going to feel like we're walking through the darkness of hell. We're going to feel like there's no hope. We're going we're to feel like this is forever, like there's no solution to this. Praise God, there is. And may we just remember, Lord, when we're confronted with our true feelings, when we validate our true feelings, and that's okay to do that, and, and Jonah did that, and David did that, and Jesus did that, we validate our true feelings. May we elevate our true reality. May we lift up the scriptures. May we find your word as our friend, as our comfort, as our truth. And may we declare our true reality, even as we validate our true feelings. Thank you, Lord, for this great day. In Jesus' name.